Well, I'd like you all to turn to Genesis 19 if you have your Bibles. If you don't, I know every one of you has a phone, so you can just hit it on Google, and up will pop the verses. So, Genesis 19, and um, I was actually supposed to read this for the call to worship, but I wanted it to be closer to my sermon, because this is what the sermon is on. Beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 19, now two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, however, No, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at, at the doorway and shut the door behind him. And he said, Please, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relationships with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do whatever you wish or whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. And so they came and pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they were wearied so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because of their outcry has come so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws as a joke, as though he were jesting. Verse 15, And when morning dawned, the angels said to Lot, and they urged him, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, and you will be or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. And so the men seized his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. And when they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. 
But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness when you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? And he said to them, he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the city or the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the town was called Zor, which means small. And the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife, from behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley and saw and behold the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word today and that you would bless it to us. We pray that you'd open our hearts to hear the warnings and the lessons that we can learn from Lot and his wife and the whole circumstance, Lord. And we pray, Father, that it would be an encouragement and not just a, a fearful thing. But, Father, where there needs to be fear, let there be fear, Lord, that we might not be overthrown with the cities, that we might not be sucked into this corrupt culture that surrounds us on every side, that we will be saved from out or out from it, Lord because we know that you are able to do that. And you're not only able, you're willing to do that. And you're not only willing, you will do that for us, each one of us individually, if we so choose to be so. So Lord, we pray your blessing upon this service now. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Yeah, what a, what a sermon for a picnic, right? Um, I would have much rather done like Psalm 100, you know, where we can just all be happy and rejoice and everything. But the Lord would not let me veer from this. And so I can't help, but I'm doing this in faith, by the way. <laughs> I can't help but uh, understand that maybe he's got something here for us. And I, I don't pretend to know what that is, but I do know I love this story. I love all the Old Testament narratives. And this is not uh, the beginning of my character sketches, which will begin next Sunday. But... Um, it is a character sketch, I guess. We read in Genesis 19:16, he lingered. And while he lingered, the men or the angels, because those two men were angels, the angels took hold of his hand and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So we mark the gracious love of a merciful God on Lot and his family. 
Now, Lot was a genuine believer. Lest you think that he was not a believer, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it allows us to see into Lot's heart. God kind of pulls back the veil. And he says this in 2 Peter 2.8. God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And he rescued righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. That's that crooked and perverse generation that we're living in. As believers, our souls should be vexed by what we are experiencing all around us. It says he was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men for by what he saw and heard. That righteous man, that righteous man, Lot, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. No less than three times in those two verses do we read that Lot was a righteous man and his righteous soul was vexed. So he is a believer, but he was in a pickle. He was in a very, very serious situation. And these things, Peter says, have been written for our learning that comes to each of us, right? Knowing more than we live up to. The scriptures say that knowledge puffs up, makes you proud, okay? But wisdom allows you to humble yourself before God. J.C. Ryle says this of, of this lesson, some believe in heaven, yet they seem hardly to long for it. And they believe in hell, and yet they seem to fear it but little. They love the Lord Jesus, but the work that they do for him is very small. And they know that the time is short, but they live as if it was long. They know that they have a battle to fight, yet a man might think that they were at peace. They know that they have a race to run, yet they often look like people sitting still. They know the judge is at the door, and there is wrath to come, and yet they appear half asleep astonishing they should be what they are and yet be nothing more <laughs> that's jc ryle anytime you can pick up anything by jc ryle buy it okay before books go out of sync or whatever just get anything you can get by jc ryle what what a a warning to us to not know more than we can live out and the temptation that is always there Thirdly, Lot warns us that compromise to the surrounding culture will not promote holiness in others. Now, this is a big one for us. Compromise to the surrounding culture. You know, we talk about the cancel culture. We talk about uh, the pressure that we have, the peer pressure from society around us to buckle under, right? Okay? We all face this. We all experience this during uh, 2020 and 2021. And some are still under that kind of pressure. I mean, I'm reading about children that are still being forced to wear masks in school and put, uh, basketball teams that are forced to wear masks while they're practicing. Are you kidding me? Even while the CDC comes out and says, hey, they didn't work. Hey, everything we told you guys, it was just we're flying by the seat of our pants. Really? And yet these mandates are still in place in some places. That, if that is not pressure from the surrounding culture. I don't know what is. 
but compromise to the surrounding culture, not only in that instance, there's so many other ways that we compromise. It's not going to promote holiness in others. You may think that you can win them by complying with their mandates. You will not win them. You will just be absorbed by them. Do you understand that? There's coming time, folk, where you're going to have to stand up and be counted. And I mean, I'm looking forward to the baptisms, right? Because that's an example of people standing up before you. I'd say most of the people that are going to be baptized today are scared to death to talk in front of you all. They really are. But they're going to do it. Why? Because they want to be obedient and they're trusting God for the courage to do that. Well, you know and you've read about the martyrs that had to stand up before uh, people that hated them with a stake with all the wood kindled right along with them and they had to stand up and confess Christ and then they go to the stake and burn, right? Hey, how much easier is it in our culture, in our day, to just say, I, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not like that. I'm sorry for you. If I can pray for you, let me know how and I will. But stand up and be counted. Let your light shine before men. Because the compromise to the surrounding culture will not promote holiness in others. No one will be influenced to godliness if we're not holy. Others around us will be unimpressed like the Sodomites, not one of them, listen to Lot's words. No one was attracted. I'm losing my mic, but I can shout. No one person was drawn by his God. None of them. And look at Lot's family. His wife escaped with him, but she was destroyed through disobedience. And his daughters escaped with him as well, only to live an immoral and awful life. Keep reading chapter 19. Staggering. Staggering. And yet they received the blessing of God by pulling them out of the destruction. And then they just went their way in sin. So God did not use Lot to hold one soul back from hell. Don't let that be you, people. Your simple testimony, your simple talking to people about what you heard in church on Sunday maybe one nugget that you got from the sermon and sharing it with people that you work with or somebody in your family. Don't ever underestimate how God can take that and begin to draw a soul to himself and you would be the cause of that. And incidentally, there's rewards for that. There's reward for that. Well, fourthly, Lot warns us to turn from our backsliding. I bid you not to be slothful. Don't be lazy. Not to be careless. Not to be content with a small measure of grace. Not to be satisfied with being a little better than the world. You know, um, during my missionary training many, many long years ago, I, I, I had the opportunity to go to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the center of the world, if you don't know that, okay? Everybody in Pennsylvania thinks the world revolves around them, and it's in the Christian churches too. And, and I, we went to a number of small churches in the hills of Pennsylvania. Beautiful place, incidentally. And it just seemed that there was always some older saints that were always reflecting back to when they got saved. And I just thought, yeah, but what about now? <laughs> How are you doing with the Lord now? And they just pointed back to that one time. And I, I think that's what I'm trying to say here is, is that, you know, don't be satisfied 
with being a little better than the world. Don't be satisfied that you have your fire insurance. You're not going to hell. Keep growing with God. It's so important. Aim at a high degree of sanctification to live a consecrated life. And, and that's why I encourage you to come to the men's and women's Bible study. I mean, can you not free up a couple hours every other Wednesday to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? They're good studies, people. You're going to grow by them. God will use them to bring you along spiritually. And you need that kind of strengthening in our present situation, our present culture. So come to those studies. Be a part of it. Don't be a lingering soul. Okay? What does a wholehearted Christian look like? Because I'm warning you today to be a wholehearted Christian. To aim at high a high degree of sanctification and not just rest on the fact that you're saved. Here's what a wholehearted Christian looks like. If you want to be effective for God in the world today and in your generation, don't linger. Don't linger. If you want to draw others from sin to Christ, don't linger. If you want to make your master's cause beautiful and attractive in the eyes of those around you, don't linger. If you really want to help your children and relatives toward heaven, if you want to cause them to say, we want to go with you, we want your God to be our God, and help them to not despise the Lord, don't linger. What does lingering look like? Lingering looks like this. If you do linger, if you hold back from giving the Lord your all, then you must at once run to Him, confess your reluctance, and ask His forgiveness because He will cure you. Lingering means holding back from the Lord. You understand that it's receiving from God, not earning the good fruits of the gifts of God. We receive from Him, but there is a decided, intentional turning away from our sin our laziness and slothfulness and turning toward God and seriously driving a stake in the ground and saying, I want to change. <laughs> Believe me, if you're a believer and, and you make that commitment to God, you will begin the process of change. And it could be rapid change. You might be shocked. Jesus is able and He is willing. And here's the big part. He is willing to do it for you individually. Because He loves you. Scripture teaches us that if He didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with His Son, who He gave us, that's, that's the salvation part, right? How will He not, along with Him and our salvation, graciously give us all things? But see, we need to intentionally receive them and then act accordingly. You're the only thing that's going to prevent you from receiving those good things that God has for you. The only thing that's going to mark you as a lingerer is your sin. <laughs> that's all. Just your sin. But I want to say something to you. Don't linger. And change it right now. Because you can. The way to do a thing is to do it. And do it now. Don't put it off. Don't say... Ah, when I get alone with the Lord, I'll, I'll do that. Maybe I can take some time out later today or oh, next week i got a day off. I'm going to 
maybe get my Bible and get things squared away. No, do it now. Just drive to stake in right now. Tell God sincerely you want to do it. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. And let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on him. And return to God for He will abundantly pardon. He is a gracious and a loving and a merciful God and He knows we're messed up. <laughs> we're all really messed up. Some of us to greater degrees than others. Okay? We get that. But we're all messed up. I mean, we are all sinners, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, don't be proud and say you're not. Because if you say you have no sin, you're lying against God according to 1 John. So don't do that. Now, I want to give you four, four lessons not warnings, but four lessons from Lot's wife. These are found um, throughout this story, but it's in Luke 17 that we're told, we're actually commanded, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. doesn't say remember Lot. It says remember Lot's wife. Well, why on earth is that? And then it goes on to say in, in Luke 17, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So we know we're talking about consecration. We know we're talking about that making a decisive and deliberate decision not to linger anymore, but to kickstart our spiritual lives. And here's the lessons. First lesson, Lot's wife warns us to beware of where we lay our treasures. Where is your treasure? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Matthew 6. Lot's wife was a very privileged woman. And I, I just think of us here in the United States, and then we can go down to a microcosm of that, us here involved in Beacon of Hope. We are a privileged people. In the United States, because we still have the freedom to preach God's Word, we still have the freedom to have Bibles and to study God's Word. At Beacon of Hope, we still have the freedom to attend services where God's Word is preached and where Bible studies take place, directing you. Well, she was a very privileged woman. She had a righteous man for her husband. We already learned that Lot was a righteous man, and she was married to a righteous man. She had the father of faith for her uncle through marriage. Abraham is the father of faith, remember? Father Abraham, right? He was the father of faith, and he was her uncle through marriage. She was also privileged because she witnessed God's deliverance of her husband from the five kings' captivity in Genesis 14. You remember before this Sodom and Gomorrah thing took place, and in between him choosing Sodom and, and him being delivered from Sodom, there was this war of the five kings, and he, he got captured. And Abraham went in and rescued him. And so she had witnessed that. And she saw the angels reason with her husband and promise safety from destruction. And she observed the angel seize Lot's hand and their hands and lead them out away from certain death. She was privileged. This is no small revelation of the care, goodness, and strength of God to save. And Lot's wife was truly a privileged woman, yet she placed her faith, hope, and love in the things of this world. 
in the things of this world. Her heart was thoroughly bound to the things of this world, the riches that Lot had procured through living in Sodom. Sodom was a very wealthy place. It was a fertile place. And Lot moved there because he wanted that wealth. And he obtained it because we read he was sitting in the gates. He was one of the elite in Sodom. And she was privileged to experience all those riches that went with that. And yet she turned her back on it. When her final deliverance was at hand, all the privilege that God had given to Lot's wife didn't avail her at all or help her in the least bit because she looked back. She looked back. Her backward glance betrayed a heart that was still tied to Sodom. She's like so many in churches today who go along with God's people, but in the end they find that the love for the world and pleasure outweigh their love for God and for the truth. And that's why we're told in the Bible, remember Lot's wife. Don't be that person. Be careful. Where does your treasure lie? What are you willing to give up for God? I guess is what it comes down to. The second lesson we learned from her life is Lot's wife warns us that though many seem to follow truth, half-hearted religion brings destruction, not half-hearted salvation. <laughs> I remember the Taliabo when we preached to them, and incidentally, this is lovely, I, I love preaching outside. <laughs> Did it for almost 17 years with the Taliabo. So. But I remember them when they understood the new birth and and they would have members that were coming to church, members of their tribe that would come to them, and they'd, they'd talk to them about being saved, and they'd say, well, I'm, I'm almost saved. I'm halfway there. And the Taliabo on their own would say this. They'd say, well, when a baby is born, what do we call it when only half of them comes out? Rather brutal, I thought. But man, it got across, right? There's no halfway point. You are either saved or you're not saved. You're saved completely or you're not saved. And Lot's wife shows us what half-hearted religion brings and its destruction. The eyes of her understanding were never truly opened even though she was so privileged. Her conscience was never seriously aroused and challenged. Her will never sincerely conformed to God's will. She never denied herself. Her affections were never turned toward the things above. Her religion was merely a show and never truly felt in her heart. And she followed her husband, but never understood the value of believing he believed, because he was a righteous man. And her heart was filled with the world and the things of this world dominated her life. Listen to this. Her choice betrayed her, and in her death, she was clearly revealed to be disobedient, self-willed, and lost forever. <laughs> wow. Her blatant disobedience to the clear warning of God not to turn back exposed a sinful heart, and looking back, she was left behind forever. Serious. Very serious. This, this is why I kind of cringe to bring this message today. I'm thinking, hey, we're all out here. It's a beautiful day. Let's just rejoice and be happy. But you know what? We'll have plenty of time to do that in heaven. I'm not kidding you. 
let's get down to business here. Let's be real here. And in the frontal attack that we're facing as believers in this day and age. Lot's wife, thirdly, warns us that little things often are merely the symptom of a deadly disease within. Just as the fruit which Eve took and ate seemed like a small thing, I mean, what's a piece of fruit, right? And yet, it threw the entire human race into sin and death. And King David walking on the terrace in the cool of the day, that seemed like a small thing, didn't it? But it ended in adultery, murder, and untold miseries for his family and his kingdom. And so Lot's wife and her looking back may seem like a small thing. I mean, what's the big deal? She looked back. Well, the big deal is her look back betrayed a disobedient heart. Her look back exposed a proud heart of unbelief in God that he would actually destroy Sodom and he would rescue her family and that he would provide. She didn't believe that. She looked back. Her look back revealed her secret love for the world and the things of the world, which is enmity with God, and shows the love of the Father which was not in her. She couldn't even refrain from looking back. Fourthly, Lot's wife warns us of being disinterested toward the gracious second coming of the Lord. And you go, oh my gosh, Lynette, where on earth are you getting this stuff? Well, I'll tell you. In Luke 17, verses 32 and 33, where Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife, the context is specifically teaching on the second coming. Jesus used Lot's wife as a reminder for us to consider our own lives. Her attitude toward coming destruction was blurred by her love of the present situation. She didn't have an eternal perspective. Her worldliness prevented her from seeing things as they really were. Her daily concerns and the living of her life took up all of her time, energy, and thought, and she did not have time to consider God and his ways. It's indicting. Her heart was absorbed in what was rather than sobered by what is to come. And her life was unaffected by the clear warning of future events about to happen. We need to place our confidence and trust in the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming soon. It may be right now. We don't know. There's nothing that needs to precede his return. And don't you want him to find you fully dedicated to him and not lingering in any way, shape, or form? I'm not calling you all to be a pastor and for all you to stand up and preach or join the worship team or or whatever. I'm just saying, you know in your own heart if you're half-hearted. And, and, and the day for that is over. Stop that. Don't be like that. You see, this may seem like a strange message to bring, like I said, but I want more than anything else to be a shepherd that is faithful. And Jeremiah 23 talks about unfaithful shepherds that were leading the sheep and the faithful away. They were scattering the flock by tickling their ears and saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. I don't want to be that guy because I have to stand before God and give answer for your souls. <laughs> Do you realize that? Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that. And we're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but God says he will gather the remnant of his flock and he will raise up shepherds over them 
who will tend to the flock and who will not be afraid or terrified to tell the truth and to warn and to encourage. And so with that, I'm just going to close with three implications from this story of Lot here. And hopefully you can take one of these and and apply it to your own heart. The first is, be affirmed. Be affirmed and be encouraged and comforted that those who know the Lord, even like Lot, and even those who are afflicted and affected by the horrible culture that surrounded him, and it might surround us and, and affect us, that he was a righteous man. And he had a righteous soul. And because of the work that God did in his life, God saved him. Okay? doesn't matter what happens or what has happened in your life. We're all a mess, like I told you. But you can lay that mess aside and go with God. And just like, excuse me, just like Lot, you can be drawn away from that culture too. Drawn away from that mess. Secondly, I want this to remind all of us that though we may be righteous, if we're influenced by the corruption that surrounds us, there are still consequences for living in an ungodly way. Lot lost everything. He was saved as though by fire. He was saved. But even his own daughters, he lost his wife. He lost his standing in that that city of Sodom. And he lost all the riches that he had in Sodom. And he lost his daughters in the end. He lost everything. So there are consequences. You can't get away from the consequences. And I always think of 1 Corinthians 3, 15. It says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. So you may have done some things. You may have made some decisions and made some choices that were bad for you because of the corruption that you were influenced by, and you may still suffer the consequences of those, but man, it's time to turn to God and just say, take me as I am and use me as you can. Because He will. He will. I guarantee you He will. Thirdly, for those who may not know the Lord or who are somehow awakened a little bit by this strong message, and you recognize that He's shaken you awake a little bit, remember this, God is holy and just, and He has to punish sin in accordance with His holy character. But He is also a loving and merciful God, and His love has provided a way for all of your sins to be forgiven. All of them. No matter how heinous they are. He just wipes it clean. And Romans 8.1 says, For those who have believed, there is therefore now no condemnation. You will be free. Humbly admit your own sinfulness and ask Him to forgive you right now. And if you're sincere, He will forgive you right now. If you need to drive that stake in today and say, I'm for you. I'm for you, Lord. I don't want to be half-hearted. I'm with you, 100%. Show me what that means. Then drive it in. Nothing prevents you from doing that. And remember, He is able, and He is willing, and He will do it if you're sincere. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for 
this reminder from the life and the story of Lot in the Old Testament. And Lord, um, we recognize that we're in a pretty interesting situation in world history right now. And um, it is not an untrue statement to say we truly are surrounded by a crooked and perverse generation. And, and yet, how much more will our light shine? How much brighter? Like a little match in a really, really dark cave will light up the whole cave. Just one little match. And so we, just one little Christian that is dedicated to Christ, 100%, not half-heartedly, will light up those around them. And we might not see that right away, but we believe God's Word is true. And so we pray that you would make us a church like that, a beacon of hope, and also a people like that, individually and corporately, Lord. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.